This is the Orange Podcast, conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. This is Alan Reader, and a special welcome if you've come to Orange for Food Week. If you've come to this podcast in search of some fresh ideas about how the community solves difficult heritage dilemmas, you've also come to the right place. We'll go there this week, and we'll also find out how the youngest of Orange City Council's newly elected councillors, he's 25, is filing his first few months in the job. It is intimidating, but it's also exciting, and I think... Uh, we're trying to have a little bit of fun with it as well. Um, but you hear um, some of the previous councillors or the, or the incumbent councillors speak, and they're really good orators, and um, I'm only 25, so it's getting the confidence to get up and speak my mind and really looking for something to say and, and saying something with a purpose rather than just speaking for speaking's sake. More from Councillor Jack Evans later in the show. You're listening to the Orange Podcast. In the Orange community, we try and value our heritage, our older, interesting buildings. It's one of the important reasons people come to town and they want to live here. But how do we balance that off against me wanting to update my house? Orange City Council helps with that process, and to find out some more, we're talking with our heritage architect, David Scobie. David, thanks for joining us today. Where the rubber hits the road is really DAs, development applications to change old buildings. But let's go back a tad. When someone wants to begin thinking about what to do with a heritage house, the place they're living in, are you a service that Orange City Council provides for free to help them work their way through that minefield? Yes, Alan. It is a free service. Uh, Orange City Council, in conjunction with the state government, offers this to all residents uh, in the Orange area. Um, It's simply an appointment made by telephone with the staff. Um, We come out on site um, and we listen to the property owner It's sometimes as simple as uh, what colours would suit the period or it might be to do with the garden or the landscape. A lot of people are interested in their front fencing, reinstating something that's more appropriate. Other times, as you said, it's very practical, like I really need to update my bathroom and kitchen and uh, do the extension at the rear of the property. As a community, why is it important that we keep heritage in mind rather than the homeowner and I can do what I like? (laughs) Um, Look, to a large extent, it is still uh, a listening role. So we are very much responsive to what uh, individuals and property owners need. At the same time, there are really important things that we know they value because they mention uh, this to us. They come to Orange because of the autumnal colours, because of the street trees, because of the cottages, because of the use of stone and so on. and they will, the classic comment to us is we want the best of both worlds. We just love the look of this house, the way it addresses the street, the garden, but we need an open plan living area or we need a sunny outdoor space. So we help them accommodate the best of those two worlds. If I wanted to do something like a stained glass window or a, or a bullnose veranda on my house, you might be able to help me find someone who can turn corrugated iron sheeting into a bullnose shape. We certainly can. And um, over the years, we've amassed... Uh, a list of special um, people, special skills, sometimes sources of materials. Um, We can generally head them in the right direction to make sure they get the right people for the job and use the right materials for the job that suits the period and style of their property. And you also have a role when it comes to historical information about those heritage signs that people see around town. Do you help compile that information? 
We do. We work very closely with the Orange and District Historical Society and uh, the it's it's often easy when you live in a community, you know, you're rushing with the kids to school or you're going to the shops. It's easy to take things for granted, but maybe on the weekends when you're riding your bike um, or when you have friends come, you'll be interested in things. So um, it's good for the community to appreciate and understand their general history. Uh, we know that they very much um, regard and value their own house or their own workplace, but often there are the terrific things. We're endowed with wonderful parks, wonderful war memorials and civic buildings and community halls and things. And so it's important that they know not just about the building fabric, but the really significant people that contributed to the history of, of the Orange and District as well as providing information on interpretive and historical science. Is it often a problem when people simply don't know where to find the right grants to help them restore their buildings? It certainly is, Alan. Uh, there are the most immediate sources, the local heritage fund, which is dispensed annually by Orange City Council um, through the councillors and a committee. Uh, applications are invited annually from uh, people who have individual projects that they would like assistance with. Um, there, it's often to do with special the special needs of heritage buildings, and it could be stonework, it could be rising salt damp, it could be um, restoring cast iron friezes and decorative elements. Um, and the we all appreciate the extra skill, care, and costs associated with those things, and that's why we have the, the local heritage fund. Okay, so I've come up with plans. I've talked to you, or maybe I've decided not to talk to you, <laughs> and I've come up with my DA. I've I've put it into council. So. What happens next? Yes. And how do you hear about it, that DA particularly, and then go to see if it measures up according to the heritage values? We do. Um, we participated in the heritage study uh, a couple of times over the last decade. And so we and the staff have got a, a good idea of wh which buildings are, are on the list or within the areas. Um, it obviously simplifies the process and makes it much easier for the property owner if they come prior to approaching an architect or a draftsman. But even if they choose not to, as you say, um, we the, the, the property's highlighted digitally and the staff will say, look, I'm a little bit concerned about the nature of this work. Would you like to have a look at it? We'll have a look at it. If we have some concerns, we'll contact the owner and say... Um, we'd like to discuss with you some of the aspects of the proposal. And we'll go out and we'll listen, what's the background of what they want to do. And our, our job is to really make sure that not only it it's, uh, fits the history and heritage, but it also needs to serve their purposes as a business or a family. And we look at all the options. Our job is really to make sure that they've left no stone unturned in finding the best possible solution. There's never one solution, but we want to make sure that there's the best solution. As part of your answer there, you mentioned in certain parts of town that's more important than others. Could you talk about conservation zones? Some time ago as a community, we decided that some parts of town have more heritage value than, say, a, a brand new subdivision with a brand new brick veneer house. So if a DA comes from one of those heritage zones, is it going to catch your planner's attention? And it's more likely you'll be brought in as a, compared to a DA for a brand new house. It is. Um, there are occasions when we look outside of the conservation areas and they're generally the approaches, the main roads into town uh, where we know that the value of uh, the entrances uh, are really important to the presentation of, of, of Orange as a, as a city. Um, but generally it's the, the two aspects. So a building could be listed because of its individual significance. Uh, that's a heritage item or it could just be in the conservation area. 
Some of the things Council considers with any DA is making it sure it complies with planning regulations, listening to what's good for the community, what the neighbours think about it, and then also wrestling with the heritage issues that go with it. We've touched on it before, but again, let's look at the big picture issues. At the DA stage, how do you balance the tension between it's my house and I should do what I like with it against the overall community interest in protecting heritage values, and, and specifically when you've got a concrete DA in front of you? Mm. Um, once a, a DA comes in, um, we, one of the things, we, the, the key thing we're looking at is, is, is the extension or the changes, are those things sympathetic with the original building? So when considering an extension to, to a property, the key word is always significance. So we talk with the owners and say, why did you buy the house? What do you love about it? What appeals? What are the things that work for you? And we usually find that those things are its heritage value and its presentation and so on. It's often not its insulation value or whether it's double glazed or not. And so we can deal with those things. Um, and so what we try and do is then just make sure that the extension or the alterations are sympathetic with those. We, we don't ask that things mimic or reflect or copy. Um, we believe that each generation should build in their own time. And the key test is probably when you, when you look at uh, what the work is going to be, you say, what is it about that extension that reflects or interprets the existing house? How do they talk to each other? What things have you carried over so that you can see you've got a, a strong relationship? And we usually find that's a practical and functional thing for the homeowner as well. And does that work happen during the process or after the DA has been submitted? Is there still time during that process to make some adjustments based on a conversation with you? Yes, there are. Um, and we always look at alternatives. So we would uh, uh, make an appointment to see the homeowner and say you've submitted the proposal. We have some concerns and we'd explain why we have those concerns. Um, we, would, we would speak and discuss those issues in layperson's terms. Obviously, there are the clauses of the development control on the local environmental plan. And we explained that, that this is protecting the character for everyone in Orange, for you, the homeowner, as well as your neighbours and the other people who live in the district. Uh, and then we find some accommodation. Sometimes it's as simple as a material or a colour or lining something up, and it may have escaped their notice. We just say, look, come with us, have a look at this. Do you, can you see that if those things didn't line up, that, that would look awkward? Um, and we often will find things that might even make it less expensive to build, for example. So we find that if, we, if you can have that discussion, um, people have that understanding and then say, yes, I do understand that. I was perhaps just focusing on my extension, but I need to look at the whole house. And do you find that being consultative, having easy two-way conversations, that fixes problems most of the time? I would say nearly all of the time. The most difficult discussions are obviously when perhaps a building has reached the end of its useful life and, and there is the issue of demolition. And there is a, there's a simple test that we, that we ask um, that we have, uh, as again that phrase, have we left no stone unturned in seeking to retain all or part of that? If we, can, if we can prove between the parties that there is no way of retaining those things that are significant, then we say yes, we'll make an archival record that will be stored in the local studies collection in the library for people doing research in the future. And then we'll embark on, on assisting the owner in a new design that again meets their requirements and suits the streetscape. 
So if a councillor is looking at their business papers and they can see a homeowner wants to go ahead with the proposal, despite the advice of heritage architect David Scobie, is it still worth that at that point, talking through some more to, to balance heritage against democracy? Um, look, there is always a balance, uh, and but that there are alternatives again for councillors. So um, those alternatives would be, uh, as you pointed out, there may be a proposal where we've had some negotiation, the parties haven't been able to agree, and the councillors would see in their business paper the officers recommend refusal. Um, sometimes there's a, there are complex issues. It might be drainage or trees. It's not always heritage. Um, and the councillors can a- accept that advice and refuse. But we've had a couple recently where the, where the councillors say, well, look, um, rather than refuse this, can we recommend another round of negotiation? And so the parties go back and we say, look, um, we've resolved eight out of ten of these issues. Can we resolve these final two? And then all parties, including the building owner and the staff and the councillors, will be happy. And that's, that's our, always our preferred outcome. There are no guarantees with any of this process. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. More often than not, though, have we got a better city for having those matters discussed and tough decisions being made? I think it is a much better city. We've had conservation areas in in Orange for a long time, um, and the conservation areas haven't changed um, generally. The, The focal points of those were the historic subdivisions. They've expanded somewhat to take into account later developments that the community also now regards as being significant. And bear in mind that the significance for a community, while it might have started off with buildings and architecture, we now know that there are lots of things that communities value that aren't always tangible. Who did this? Where did so-and-so live? What was the background to war service and so on? So there there are often intangible things that we need to be very mindful of in in balancing the community's needs. And um, so striking that balance, we have projects in parks related to school children and memorials and and amenity you know the cenotaph has been a a wonderful new facility it's now fully accessible Um, everything fits Um, the community has has had enormous benefit culturally as well as physically out of that that process Uh, and um, uh, I think there's a that's a a major project that um, has benefited on the whole, and then that came from the community. It was not so much, again, about the fabric or the material. It was about understanding what people valued and how can we deal with things like accessibility and and the community interest. On the Orange podcast, we're hearing about the practicalities of protecting the heritage of Orange, which is so important. David Scobie, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Alan. You're listening to the Orange Podcast. In the last couple of weeks, we've had a series of hearing from our new batch of local councillors. We elected eight of them at the last local government election, and we're gradually going around and finding out who they are, what makes them tick, and what are their cunning plans for Orange City Council for the next couple of years. Next up, Councillor Jack Evans. Jack, introduce yourself. Who, who is Jack Evans? Hey, good day, Alan. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm a local boy born and bred. Uh, most people probably recognise my name from the big shop in Paisley Street that's been there for like 75, 80 years, but I've been back now for maybe three years after growing up. I did uh, three years down in Wollongong doing history and politics at the University of Wollongong. That's got nothing really to do with this sort of politics. It's learning how sort of the world works and critical thinking, but um, I work full-time in the family business now. I'm a a parent merchant, as I like to put it. 
How did you come to stand for Orange City Council? Um, through my role as, as president of the business chamber that I, I held for uh, one and a half years until I uh, stood down last Tuesday, um, I built a relationship with Councillor uh, Maletto and, and other staff and was getting to learn if you want to make a difference, how to go about it. And I built a real rapport, I feel, with the, with the business community and, and slowly growing to the broader community. And Tony approached me um, sort of mid-end last year and said, have you considered going for council? I told him no. And um, I thought about it and thought about what really are my ambitions for, for Orange and how do I want to really ultimately give back and see the place that's given so much to me grow. Um, and I decided to, to run for council. Uh, here we are. Were you surprised at the result or pleased? What was your response? Uh, very surprised and, and definitely pleased. I, I think I was a bit uh, nervous when I first stood on Tony's ticket, but once the results started coming in, you sort of get that candidate fever. You're like, come on, now we're going to get here. Um, but now we're here and we're learning the ropes, getting in, involved with council staff again. I had a pretty good relationship with them already through my previous role um, and just learning how to get things done, what's the process to do it and what's actually achievable. Hmm. You mentioned you've a uh, keen interest in the business community. These are a community of people around Orange whose livelihoods depends on the health of the local economy. Why is it important for people who run their own business to get on well with council to understand what's going on? Now, it's important to bring a, a small business perspective to council and I understand other councillors have a, a business background, but small business really is the sort of the lifeblood of our economy, whether it's retail, tourism, hospitality or, or tradies. Um, they're the largest employer of people in the region. Um, so to understand how they're feeling, what the health of the economy is like and um, if we're going to approve something that's going to have an adverse effect, what benefits can we provide? And, and through my other role, we worked with council to provide like the, the 50k giveaway shop bonus last year that was a good booster after the COVID lockdowns. And So uh, what are your priorities? You've now got a couple of years ahead serving as a member of the council. What are your priorities? Well, coming out of, out of university, my keen interest was infrastructure. Now, I'm not an engineer. There's, there's smarter people than me for that. But... Uh, now that I've built on that business side of and the economic growth, I'm interested in building the infrastructure to support that economic growth. So um, I'm, I'm keen at looking for starters at transport and how people access our region. So I'm in the middle of, of talks right now with the infrastructure team and, and Director Greenham of bringing airlines to the region for an initial meeting to say, OK, well, we've got direct flights from Melbourne and Brisbane and Sydney. But how about the other population centres and how do we access a new sort of demographic and target market, bring them here to experience our region and, and spend money in our economy? Um, bigger picture-wise and looking at, at the region of Blaney and Combine, I'm looking at talking to the other directors and mayors and, and infrastructure chairs out there to say, OK, well, there's existing rail infrastructure there from years ago. My nan used to catch the train from Yagara to Canandra. How do we bring that back? And I think that's going to play a part now as the fuel prices go up and, and electric vehicles come into play. How do we reuse that infrastructure and get trains back on the line to connect our region um, between maybe Blaney, Molong and Orange and then down the track further afield? 
the UGL organisation has just opened a, a, a state headquarters here in Orange. Does that help when it comes to you know, getting resources to bear on better infrastructure for and transport resources for the region? Well, I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet, but you can only imagine, especially with UGL and then what's going on out at parks, it, the region is going to become particularly a freight hub as well. Um, and it's if they're going to already improve the infrastructure for freight, how can we leverage that for passenger services as well? Hmm. Other priorities for you? Um, I still want to pay keen attention to the to the to the business economy. Um, find out how we can attract other businesses to put down roots here, or current businesses to expand. In recent weeks, a number of councillors who went to the uh, local government forum conference in Sydney and learnt some more about what it means and to, to mean some other people in the same boat. Was that a, a valuable experience for you? Yeah, it certainly wasn't the opportunity to talk to and, and connect with people from other regions and finding out from the long-serving councillors just how much we've got to learn. And so I suppose one big priority for myself and the other eight councillors is investing as much time into ourselves to educate ourselves in this role what we can do and and the policies around council as we can so that we can perform to the best of our ability and that probably if everyone has their um, agenda in the community but that is probably everyone's number one priority. You've been going now for a couple of months how have the meetings gone are you getting your head around it is it intimidating or are you enjoying the challenge? It is intimidating but it's also exciting and I think uh, we're trying to have a little bit of fun with it as well. Um, but you hear um, some of the previous councillors or the, or the incumbent councillors speak, and they're really good orators, and um, I'm only 25, so it's getting the confidence to get up and speak my mind and really looking for something to say and, and saying something with a purpose rather than just speaking for speaking's sake. Um, but otherwise, the meetings have been fun. Uh, the council staff have been really great and, and helped us along. Um, you know, everything's looking up. Councillor Jake Evans, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Alan. And that's the Orange Podcast for this week. Remember, you can download this program anytime from the Orange City Council website or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Alan Reader. Bye for now. <laughs>